Charlotte Madsen has issues, all the issues, all at once, and they are getting worse. They include, but are not limited to, infertility, anxiety, medical trauma, postpartum depression, judgmental friends, a beautiful yet sinful toddler, and just in time for this spooky season, a ghost that creeped into her already haunted life. We are exploring the new psychological thriller, That Pale Host, unleashing today from novelist and Lorehaven writer, L.G. McCary, from Monster Ivy Publishing. Welcome again to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven, now entering Spooktober, Spectober, whatever you want to call it. Lorehaven explores the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and we apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our author, Jesus Christ, calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett. I am blessed to publish lorehaven.com. I'm also the co-author of the nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I'm positive I'm awake right now and not in a dream. At least I really hope so, because that would be terrible. And this is episode 82. What if your nightmares came to life and haunted your day? We'll be talking about That Pale Host with author L.G. McCary. Who has already entered the studio, a spectral haunt melting through the walls to disturb our daytimes. How are you, Laura? Hi, I'm good. Uh, just for clarity, Laura McCary is the same as L.G. McCary, the author of That yes. Pale Host. Uh, that book just drops if you're listening to this episode on its release day, Tuesday, October 5th. It is literally on the cyber shelves today. Isn't that right, Laura? Yes, it's very exciting. And this is also your second time on Fantastical Truth. Last time we talked about yeah. the book coming, but now that's moved into the present tense. And by the way, if anybody was expecting a in-depth discussion about whether Christians should celebrate Halloween, well, how silly of you. We only just pitched it in our last episode as uh, going to be the topic for today. We changed our minds. Uh, we realized we have <laughs> to get this in here now in order to hit the release date. So we will do that Halloween episode. Obviously, that spooky sensation will still be in this episode. Uh, but that discussion we'll have to save for another time, probably a little later in October, because we have a lot of great guests coming up. You, you mean the, the Reformation Day episode? Oh, yes. Like well, that, the that's, fall the that's going to be the Reformation Day slash Fall Festival slash yes. Harvest Bounty. Uh, only safe, family-friendly costumes allowed here. Someone yes. really needs to make a mashup of like a Halloween uh, spooky show and, you know, the Reformation like. He's nailing the theses to the door because that's what keeps the ghosts in or something like that. There's got to be, I mean, we've got Abraham Lincoln and vampires. And our new and cinematic universe and from Pure Flix is born like, well, let's, as let's of this day. Let's do it. Come on. Actually, I, would, I would subscribe to Pure Flix if they made just that kind of crossover. I want a <laughs> Johann Tetzel zombie. That's what I want. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I would watch that. Yes. We would watch all that. watch the heck out of that. Uh, Johann Tetzel selling indulgences. Uh, and asking for everyone's brains. That's what we're talking about today is what's going on in our brains. What a segue. Uh, lots of ghosts as well. And parenting drama, slice of life. Uh, we were talking earlier, Zach and Laura, about what exactly That Pale Host is. But first, let's get to know who Laura McCary is. She's been writing for Lorehaven for a bit. This is her first novel, and she also writes a lot of short stories. Laura, you want to take it from here? Tell about yourself. Yeah. Hi. So yeah, I'm LG McCary. You can call me Lara. I LG is my author name. It's just my initials, but it was also a, a nickname when I was a kid. So Yo, what's the G stand for? And my middle name, Grace. Ah, so, there we yeah. go. That's really hilarious. Simple. My sister's name is literally Lara Grace as well. So I, I never nice. put those together. That's funny. Super common. In the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but yeah, so it's, 
um, this is definitely, this is my first novel. I've worked on it for eight years. Um, I write either heartbreaking drama with deep theological themes or sarcastic pun filled humor that would make Terry Pratchett face palm. Like there's no in between. <laughs> so, so if you've read my stuff from Havoc, um, it's, I have, I won editor's choice for the sensational anthology with my story, um, a recipe for disaster. And I got that idea in middle school or not middle school, high school. Um, where it's just ridiculous food puns. Like it's the entire premise. It's just a bunch of ridiculous food puns. So, um, but then I have that bell host, which is very serious and very dark and has a lot. I thought it was yeah. a comedy, like a spiritual <laughs> successor to ghost dad, you know, no. kind of oh, like no. same. No, okay. that sounds terrible. No. <laughs> but, no, you've described yeah. this as a psychological thriller. And uh, you mm-hmm. say in your official bio, you have a bachelor's in psychology which means you know enough to mess with readers' heads, but not enough to diagnose their problems. Yes, so don't you'd be perfect on this website, twitter.com, <laughs> just telling everybody else <laughs> possibly what's wrong with them and using all kinds yes. of shrinky-dink terms. That's precisely why I'm not on Twitter. Mm. So if anybody asks you, like, Fair oh, wise. is Laura, is, is LG McCary on Twitter? No, I am not, because that would not be good. No, but you <laughs> are on te- Instagram, in particular yes. the Lorehaven Instagram, uh, which, uh, thanks yeah. to your efforts, has been taking off. Uh, we actually found yeah. out how to wield Instagram uh, as an instrument fun. of construction. Yeah, well, we really appreciate it. and. Everybody who's not following us on Instagram needs to go do so. We're sharing all kinds of great stuff there. Yeah. And please, if you have, I'll just say this right now. If you are a big Narnia fan, Lord of the Rings, any kind of fandom and those things, and you find some really cool memes, please send it to us. Um, We're going to try and do a little bit more fun stuff, um, like some fan Friday type stuff along with our reviews. So, And you can always just uh, send a a DM if you have a question or something you want to ask us about i'm happy to answer it i'm there i love instagram i'm on there all the time so that's at lorehaven mag on instagram you can just search for lorehaven just like you'd search for lorehaven to facebook or to even the twitter we try to behave ourselves on the twitter Uh, we'll get get all that contact info a little bit later uh thanks by the way to uh let's go real quick to our first sponsor for this episode the prolific uh, the fantastic returning guest star andrew j chamberlain He is back with another novel uh, to sponsor today's broadcast. It's a science fiction one this time called The Centauri Survivors. Herein is the book description. When a habitable planet is discovered just four light years from Earth, governments and private corporations rush to build a ship to take the first humans there. But only a few of the colonists wake up from cryosleep after the 60-year journey. And as their ship comes into orbit around the new planet, they find themselves surrounded by death. As the survivors scramble to make sense of what has happened, they find their own lives under threat, and, pursued by their enemies, they escape to the surface of the new planet. Caught between their human adversaries and whatever the planet throws at them, the survivors fight to stay alive as circumstances drive them towards a final, deadly confrontation. Andrew tells us this is book one of the Centauri Sequence series. You can find the links in our show notes for this episode, 82. We have it listed in the library, and we'll include the book cover and any ordering information on that page, as well as at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. One reviewer says of this tale, quote, this gripping piece of fiction, well-written and worth recommending, end quote. Sounds like a positive referral to me. And let me just say really quickly, for some reason, despite being a science fiction fan, folks, I've always stumbled over the the word 
cryosleep. I want to say, <laughs> I want to say cyrosleep, gyrosleep. I don't know what it's Zach. <laughs> you're also hero sleep. <laughs> that just doesn't work. It's cryosleep. <laughs> is it not Zach? I, I, it, that's yeah. good, the correct pronunciation. Okay. Cryo, cry, like okay, cryogenic. So cry me a river. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just glad I got through that without uh, completely mangling it. So Andrew, thank you for your patience and thank you for your sponsorship. Yeah. Well, let's get back. Awesome. Uh, Laura's been very patiently waiting over there, hovering in the corner. So uh, let's uh, start off with a very biographical, uh, fun question. We usually ask our folks, our guest authors on Fantastical Truth. Laura, we've crossed over this a little bit, but how did you first discover biblical truth and fantastic stories? I Honestly, don't remember the first time I read Narnia, but I know that it that was, was probably Narnia. it. We need to yeah. change the question and just say, yeah. author besides X, Narnia, when did you, did you Narnia? discover Narnia, yeah. and how exactly did that get you into biblical truth or, and fantastic or that stories? whole that whole question that's like, if you could have lunch with anyone that's ever lived besides, <laughs> besides C.S. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't just Narnia; like that was the kind of a like gateway drug. But I really. Um, I loved the Voyage of the Dawn Tread. It's my favorite one. I've probably mm. read it 13 times, maybe more. Um, I honestly lost track after like the 10th time I read it. I've read the well, entire series. it has series. the best transition into Narnia. Oh, it's, it's just Through so Through the painting, cool. spoiler alert. Yes. Yes. I, and I love Eustace. I think that character's hilarious. So, um, But I also, I read uh, The Hobbit with my dad when I was in third grade. Um, he would read a page and I would read a page. And he would deliberately get words wrong on the page he was reading. So I'd have to check him and stop him. So I actually read the entire book and I loved The Hobbit. I just remember thinking that Bilbo was the coolest and that, that whole, this Smaug and all the dragons wow. and everything. It was just really cool. I loved it. And I, uh, I just don't want to start a rumor here. It's just, it's, it sounds very similar to what Kara Swanson said. Didn't she say also that her dad read her The Hobbit? So there's Aww, another yay. glitch in the matrix here, or maybe someone's yeah. a variant or something. I'm sorry, please yeah. continue. No, yeah. Well, the other thing I was going to say that I've got the trifecta because I, it was, Started with C.S. Lewis, and then you have Tolkien, and then Frank Peretti. So, <laughs> I I loved whom loved, we have loved, all loved met now. By the yes. way, yeah. oh, that was so oh, cool. he's a brick. I, he's a swell chap. Nice, that was awesome. He's such a nice guy. Such a godly man too. Um, and he's up really, for an Instagram prank as well, as you yes. have discovered personally. Yes, that was amazing. But yeah, I read the Cooper Kids Mysteries or Cooper Kids Adventures when I was a kid. I loved them. Um, my favorite was the island of Escape from the Island of Aquarius. I love that book. Um, just love this big creepy snake. I thought that was just really cool. Stuart so, Kilno was gone in one gulp. <laughs> that, yeah, yes, that was that yes. was terrifying. It was amazing. <laughs> I still so, remember the dude's name too, kind of a proto-antichrist on this island. So good. But I, I also um I read This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. That was mm -hmm. the two that we had. Um, like I we had the, the Cooper kids and we had the darkness books. And I read those so many times. I read, I probably 10 times each, maybe more. And then I discovered that the library at our church had a bunch of like the oath and, you know, all the, the, the visitation and um, definitely profit is probably uh, was really formative, but then illusion is by far my favorite of his books. It's, it's excellent. It's a sci-fi romance and it's just the sweetest. Mm -hmm. I, I cried on page two. I don't cry at books. So Oh, yeah, that was so that's, that's kind of how last I got started. book as well so far, and, and yeah. it could it could be yeah. his uh, magnum opus there, at least uh, his his grand finale for his writing career. And I got it signed at Realm Makers. That was yes. really cool. <laughs> I got all the other books signed. That's the only one of his I haven't read, but uh, we'll we'll ask yeah, Peretti about good. that when we have him on Fantastical Truth. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Life goes. <laughs> 
When you read, you know, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, did it mm-hmm. prepare you for the green mist and the ghost of the White Witch in the movie? Zach, like, were you just, uh, bro? <laughs> no, bro, no, uh, too soon, bro. It's eleven years too soon. <laughs> Don't I just, even. I mean, we're talking about the pale host, not the green ghost, mist. And it's like creepy stuff, right? I mean, I've kind of blocked it out. So we're on brand, but yes, block it out. That's that's <laughs> mental trauma. We're trying to recover from that. That's the theme of the program today. <laughs> I was just kind of like, no, I, I remember I watched the original BBC stuff and they, I loved those as a kid. Like I love those shows. And I Did still you think love that Edmund's yellow tights in the voyage. I don't of the remember. I was with a room full of Narnia nerds and we were kind of love slash hate watching BBC's voyage of the Dawn Treader. And everyone just loses it at Edmund's puke yellow tights. I will just go out and say it. It was like, <laughs> what? not the best fashion choice in the world. Not Narnian, probably comfortable, but not attractive clothing. My favorite is Reaper Cheap because he waddles. He's Warwick Davis, yeah. And it's just the cutest little waddle. And then he says, he goes, uh, he's talking to Aslan. He says something about, the tail is the very honor of a mouse. And for some reason, like anytime I see a mouse, I think it's the very honor of a mouse in my head. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't like mice, though. (laughs) No, thank you. I'm trying to think. There was one of, oh, yeah. And also um, in college, I was going to tell you, I discovered Arena. Uh, which is, oh ah, gosh, I'm trying to remember who. Karen Hancock, published Karen Hancock, originally yeah. in 2002, and it's going to be reprinted yeah. by Enclave this spring, I happen to know. Oh, awesome. Yes. I, I absolutely love mm-hmm. that book. That that was such a cool, I found that in my college library, and just, it was so encouraging to me, because I thought, oh, wow, this is like, kind of like a Pilgrim's Progress, but sci-fi, like, this is amazing. And it made me really excited. And I I kind of knew I wanted to write by that point, I'd always thought of it as it's going to be a hobby more than a job because, you know, it's it's hard for it to be a job. Uh, and then that kind of gave me some hope, like, okay, there is a market for cool, weird stuff. Because I also write science fiction. I don't just write, you know, psychological thriller. So. so speaking of psychological thriller, what images, spectral or otherwise, led you to create this uh, debut arrival, That Pale Host? Well, a lot of things. I'll just kind of explain it. Um, that pill host is the story of Charlotte, a new mom. She comes home from the hospital with her baby girl and starts to feel like something is watching her, something is following her. And that if she doesn't find out or figure out what it is and what it wants, it's going to destroy her life. It started with a nightmare. <laughs> the entire novel started with a nightmare. Your I nightmare, had. not Charlotte's. Yeah. yeah, my nightmare. I had a nightmare. I'm sorry um, to hear that, but also intrigued. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Um, so I was visiting my parents. I was pregnant with my second child and I was, uh, I woke up about, I want to say about three, four in the morning with this horrible, horrible nightmare. And I just, my heart was pumping cold sweat. And I just sat there staring at the ceiling thinking as any normal human being would think this would make a really good short story. (laughs) Cause that's a, totally normal thing to think it's a great Um, way to make lemonade out of lemons (laughs) yes but the basically that i in the dream i was uh visiting some family a different side of the family and i was in this house that was very familiar to me um uh, it was belonged to one of my aunts and we were just talking and stuff and there was someone in the room that did not belong and i kept like trying to draw everybody's attention to the person and no one would acknowledge that the person was there and they're all ask, acting like I was crazy. And everybody else around me was treating me like I was crazy. And I'm going, do you do not see this like right here in front of my face? Do you not see her? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? 
And then I woke up panicked. And so then I, I literally, I lay there for about 30 minutes, I think. And then I jumped up. I thought, I cannot, this is not just a short story. This is a novel. I need to write it down. And so I sat in, on my, in my parents' front room and got on my mom's computer and emailed the story to myself. Basically, I just, I wrote, I wrote the beginning, the end and the, the about, well, I think now it's about chapter 37 in the book and just like the kind of peak moment of what, where you figure out what's going on in the story. And then I, I wrote down like a ton of notes and stuff. And my mom comes in at four in the morning because she was always waking up early. She always got up about 4.30. And she goes, what on earth are you doing? You're supposed <laughs> to be asleep. It's like, I'm writing a novel. She goes, the Mars novel? I went, no, 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 not the Mars novel. This is totally different. I had the idea and I've got to write it down right now. I thought I was going to lose it. And she goes, okay, fine. And <laughs> just walked in to have her breakfast because she knows me. I'm on the record as supporting novels that are at least partly set on Mars. Uh, by the way, for oh, any yes. of you aspiring writers out there, uh, this is good strategy, writing uh, in in brief, the beginning, the end, and the middle, and then a ton of notes. Uh, once you get those mm -hmm. high points figured out, you've got a, you've got yourself a good structure there. I can yeah. confirm, by the way, 50% through that pale host uh, that so far uh, it's working. Uh, it's working. This, hey, is, uh, this is psychologically hor horrible stuff. And yet I would say uh, that this, this, I mean, no book is for everyone, but there are some people who like would legit be uh, concerned about some of the stuff going on in here because this is like stuff that happens to real people. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned in the intro, like a little tongue in cheek, but this is serious stuff. It's not just depression and anxiety. It's all of these things put together. Uh, well, well, how about you explain that, Laura? I'm, I'm coming at yeah. it from the fan perspective, but like, how do you read this as some of the, some of the psychological issues that poor Charlotte yeah. has to suffer? Well, I, I personally, um, I dealt with postpartum depression with my oldest. I had postpartum anxiety to the point that I should have been on medication with my second, but because of various circumstances and my own pigheadedness, I did not get help. I should have. Do not make that mistake. Yeah, so please, that's a call out. This is a very special episode for readers who are suffering, <laughs> or their listeners who are yeah. suffering that. Please get help. <laughs> get help. Yeah. And, and do not be ashamed of needing help. Do not need, do not. I actually, we have something at the end of the book that says, I feel like this needs to be said, you are not less than if you need medication to help balance the neurotransmitters in your brain. That is not wrong and it should not be shameful. Um, I mean, I have, a, I have a degree in psychology. I know how this stuff works. It, and yet I still, in my own mess, after I had my second kiddo, I was just, I, I wouldn't get help because I was, mm. I was honestly, you know, there's a lot of things that go through your mind when you're stressed out and scared mm -hmm. with a new baby. I'd also been through a lot of trauma that year. Uh, that, that was a, that whole thing is a lot to explain, but basically my, um, my grandfather died that summer and he was very close to him. So that was very, very hard to take. And I was really hoping he would get to meet my second child because oh, that was his only, mm. that's his only second great grandfather. Like, grandchild like my kids are his only great grandkids so I really really wanted him to get to meet him and he didn't and then um that was when my husband was a my husband is a, a military chaplain he's in the army and this is before all of that he was a pastor for two years and they um basically pushed us out they forced him to leave and that was an extremely difficult circumstances so the day that he stepped down um, the next day or I had our son the next day, it was literally just 24 hours. Wow, from, just within. Wow. So, so yeah. while we're here and I want to get back to ghosts and horror <laughs> in a moment, but 
We are, of course, not trained mental health professionals or any of that, but, you know, Zach knows, listeners, you all know that occasionally we do try to address those things, at least insofar as fans of stories can address these. Laura, you mentioned that, yes, if if people are having these kinds of issues, they need to get help. Um, Several listeners, I can just think of a few, not in particular, I don't know all y'all's names, of course, we're fortunately got more listeners than that, but uh, Christians have struggled often to understand these issues of mental health. I mean, there's, there are some polar opposite views. Some people are just, well, if you are, you know, mentally, uh, struggling, if you have depression or anxiety, then you're not responsible for what you do. It's all, uh, in the chemistry. And then others will say, you don't need any of those doctors with their pills and their science, you know, just trust the Lord, uh, meditate on scripture. Uh, and you need to change yourself spiritually or you need to pray to be changed spiritually. And then after that, any of these struggles will follow. It's just a matter of the lies you're believing. And if you just believe the truth, uh, then you wouldn't suffer from that. Do you have any thoughts on, in, in short, just uh, on this issue before we move back to the Halloween-y type stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, so that wasn't that wasn't even all with me. So after I had, I'm, with my third kiddo, I was fine. With my fourth, I had a traumatic um, experience with labor. and. Um, nearly bled out. I was very, and I was basically later on, they determined it was postpartum, post-traumatic stress. So I've had all the spectrum of different issues. And I also have, um, I do have lots of family with other mental health issues and, and I just, it's frustrating to me because if someone gets cancer in the church, you know what to do. You go to their house, you bring them meals, you bring them flowers, you show up at the, at the, hospital when they're having chemo, you um, donate to help them get a new wig or send them a really cool, you know, like handkerchief or whatever. And we have and a you whole cottage a- industry inside yeah. and outside the church for cancer survivors and, p- and people who are going yeah. through that. And we need to have those things. And the same thing for chronic pain and some of these other issues, like you know how to help someone who's physically ill. We do not treat people with mental illness the same way. And it's the same kind of issue. It's It's just expressed differently. And I think Christians really struggle because, because our minds and our souls are so closely connected in in our, especially in our culture today. I think that we really struggle with someone who is, you know, claims Christ and yet struggles in this way repeatedly. It it seems to be, it's like, well, what's wrong with you? You know, there's, and it's not a nice, like, oh, we can fix it. It's a, what's wrong with you? Um, And I know I've had um, a few conversations like that. And, but I, I just want to say that if, if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with, with mental health issues in general, there's lots of different things. I have, I have friends with Tourette's. I have friends with OCD. I have friends who were bipolar. I, one of my best friends, um, when I was a teenager had schizophrenia. So I have seen the gamut. God loves you. He is with you in the yes. mess. Yes. He is holding you up mm-hmm. and it does like your heart and your soul still belong to God, even when your brain is, is, you know, tripping up on you. So, Amen. yeah, yeah I have, I have something to say about this. I, I yeah. actually think that mental health or mental illness is sort of a misnomer because so many of these conditions are sort of a combination of all three of these things. It, it's, it's your body and your mind and your spirit that are yeah. all in a state of emergency. And I, I think what often goes wrong in the church or in culture is we treat one or, or we, we see that, oh, this just means you need to pray more, or this just means that you need to ha- have better, yeah. a better thought life, or this just means you need these pills or you just need to exercise. 
Or the reality is, it's oils. probably or essential yeah. oils. <laughs> Sorry, the reality I had is to. It's, it's yeah. There's always an essential oil for something, but I, I think the reality is it's often all three at once that need yes. help uh, because yes. our our mind and our body work so much in concert, and along with our spiritual beliefs in. Uh, so often we need pastoral care in the midst of seeing a counselor, in the midst of addressing medical or physical needs that we have. And so I I almost feel like we need a new term for these situations because it really is an emergency. And, and I've been through this before where I literally could not get control of uh, a period of anxiety in my, my or my younger life. And I needed medical help to be able to sort through my thoughts and then to be able to sort through, you know, my spiritual life and try to make sense of all this together. But when one of those things gets so broken that you can't even address the others, you know, it, it's a systemic illness. It, it's not just, uh, you know, you just need to pray more or you, or you need to think happy thoughts or something. I think what this calls for is a better theology. Um, yes. that, that we don't divorce the body from the soul Amen. Um, and yeah. that we, we see exactly. those together. And if yeah. we do not do this, then what we do is we leave all of this to the secular health professionals and God bless them. But for all of the Christians uh, struggles with reconciling uh, the soul and the body and trying to see us as whole people created by God with that duality of natures, uh, the secular world would have even less of a grasp on that. And so yeah, some the of the extreme, yeah. yeah, materialism, but some of the extreme responses I see, uh, particularly infectious on social media, uh, is this growth of people slinging uh, these, these mental health terms at one another, like, oh, you're gaslighting or you're bipolar. Or, and then other people are actually embracing these terms like, oh, I'm so borderline or I'm so OCD. And like, I find that offensive against those uh, who have either been um, they've been victimized by this behavior in themselves or from others. Like, I mean, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that you have to have an official diagnosis from an expert, uh, but some of these too are are just uh, just disorders of character. I mean, some people can have these these traumas, some self inflicted, some inflicted by others. At least that's the guess that I get. And then also, you have people who will use these as an excuse for sin. Like, well, I, I, was, oh, yeah. I was mentally traumatized, so that gives me a license to sin, uh, which the Christian does not agree with that, cannot agree with that. We can explain and understand the causes that people choose willingly to sin, uh, but we cannot excuse them. And neither does God excuse them, but he is, as one author famously said, gentle and lowly, and he does offer forgiveness to the repentant. Yeah, and there's that's actually something I kind of, I wanted to bring that out in that pale host is that Charlotte is a mess. You know, this poor woman, she's going through all these ugly things and she's making terrible decisions in the middle of it. She is. Um, she's a whole person. She's not a Mary Sue with a mental illness uh, at yeah. all. She, she is very empathetic and yet I'm disagreeing Thank with you. her 40% of the time, by the way. Oh, I yelled at her the entire time. I wrote, I wrote this book. For, this took me eight years to write this book. And I was yelling at her the entire time. Like, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you doing that? No, don't. And, but this the thing is people, people sin and they, and they do, choose to sin. Yes. Yeah, and they, willingly. they hurt other people. And I, having now been through therapy, I've been through some really wonderful counseling with a great godly counselor who's also a chaplain um, who's life-saving to be honest it was very very helpful Um, and also did a therapy called emdr eye movement um, desensitization and reprocessing so um i that may not be appropriate for something you're dealing with but that is a very 
that was very, very helpful for me to processing trauma, um, especially the stuff after having my daughter. And then obviously ever after being kicked out of a church and all the church hurt associated with that, that helps me process a lot of that stuff and actually be a healthy person. What I realized is that I had, I'd been dealing with personally, um, I had been dealing with so many mental health issues for so long that I was giving myself room to sin where I should not. Mm, um, it's mm. where I was, I would get mad at my kids and I would think, oh, I'm just having a bad day. I'm just having a bad mental health day. No, you don't get to do that. Like that's, this is sin. Stop. You can be in a bad mood, but the way that you do it is you say, okay, I'm sorry. Mom is having a bad day. I'm going to take five minutes, calm down, and we're going to come back to what we were doing. I'm not going to yell and scream at you. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to stomp away and be mean. Because I realized I was just taking some of my own trauma out on my own kids. And, um, and that's, that is sin. That's yeah. hurting someone else for what you've been through. And that doesn't help anyone. And it doesn't, it doesn't fix your issues either. And so I, I wanted to show that, um, I, I just really wanted to kind of explore that. That's something else too. I really appreciate what she said, that she's a whole person. I think there's a tendency, and I, I say this with the utmost gentleness so please do not think i'm i'm angry with anyone but it's a concession do you want a concession stand uh <laughs> yeah. wrapper to wrap that yes in? okay yes. there we go there's a concession um, stand <laughs> item here here we go here we go nice I, little I lollipop with, or, or kick lollipop okay go ahead yes I, I say this with the most most gentleness is that there's a tendency within the author community to make a character with mental illness only their mental illness Mm. Um, if you read a book where a character has ptsd which i have recently or a book that Whereas a character has OCD or some other things, there is a tendency that their entire identity is wrapped up in their symptoms and not in their humanness, like who they are. And I, I need to submit that that is not healthy and it is not good for, for anyone. You, yes, I understand the tendency to be like, this is so overwhelming that it is, it's taking over my life. Yes, it is. But that is not in essence who you are. And so when you write a character that all there is to them is their OCD or their bipolar or whatever, you're shortchanging that character. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of my, like I said, I had a friend who had uh, paranoid schizophrenia. She was diagnosed when she was about 14. And wow. I, she was still one of the most loving, giving, mm. funny people you've ever met. She cracked me up. Um, we had a great time together when she was healthy and when she was on her meds. And when she wasn't, she could be pretty scary and mean sometimes, but she would apologize to me if she, you know, said something mean or got angry with me. Um, she would, she recognized like, I still have to be, I'm, I'm me. I'm not my disease. I'm me. And there's, so that's, I, like I said, I say that with most gentleness because a lot of people who are doing that, it's probably because they aren't as familiar with what they're writing about as mm, maybe I they see. could be. Yeah, that so, kind of goes back I, to what Stephen's saying. It's just all the rage to put a label on yourself. Well, like it know, can be social and, media, and yet I also, I mean, I, I don't want to just blame those people because mental health has been so poorly understood, uh, both inside uh, Christian communities yes. and outside them. But also, I think that there's something intrinsically flawed with the idea of approaching mental health with a series of charts. Uh, and and just nonfiction scientific research, like even the expert level stuff seems to lack that whole person approach, uh, not just because we are sold beings as well as embodied beings, but also because I think that stories, stories are one of the, if not the top methods of helping to work through these issues. Uh, 
yes. you get a whole, at least a good story is. Now, if a story is reducing the character to her or his mental illness, then that's an issue, just as it would be if you're reducing that character to their physical disability. Uh, that person mm -hmm. is is not less of a person or an icon for a cause uh, just because they you know happen to lose their avatar. legs in an accident. Yeah, yeah, a group avatar. Like, no, we are not symbols. We are not icons, much less gods as human beings. We are just human beings. Good stories help to show this. Yeah, a, a book I really enjoyed was Dan Allender's The Wounded Heart and how he goes through the process of uh, people that experience childhood trauma, develop coping mechanisms that become lifestyles. And, it, and it's easy just to affirm those kinds of choices and, and lifestyles and, and even personalities that have developed around that. But he's like, no, but ultimately what we need to do is repent because there are false beliefs that have been built up around these coping skills. And, you know, you don't blame a child for coping with things, but when you grow up, uh, you know, it's the, the trauma is not your fault, but the coping skill or the coping mechanism is your responsibility. Right. right. And that's where you have to examine that and say, okay, in, in light of biblical truth, like what am I, what is the belief that's underlying this that I need to repent of? You know, you're not taking responsibility for the trauma inflicted on you. That would be crazy. Yeah, of course it's not. not. Like you're blaming yourself for the pain you feel, but what is your response to that pain that you do need to deal with? And that's, it's like, okay, that's like everything else in life. Like we, we do have to be freed from the sin that entangles us because like, as you said, Laura, just having a bad day or, or whatever it is that happens to us, that's not an excuse to sin. And mm -hmm. in, and in a sense, that's not even what causes us to sin. It just sort of reveals our sin. It, yeah. it reveals the yeah, sinful nature reveals that's what was there just hiding there under a full stomach or a, you know, a, a good night's rest. Like yeah. that sin is always there. Right crouching at the door. Well, that's the yeah. corollary to what Jesus said in Mark 7, is that the sin does not come from the food that you eat because it only goes through the body and is later expelled. That's the closest <laughs> we ever get our Lord referring to a, a toilet humor there. <laughs> but there is, you know, food does bring out the sinful impulses in us, or it can. You can eat to excess. You can eat something poisonous and not care. You know, some people will struggle with anorexia or something like that. You know, food can exacerbate the sin that's in us. And I have two more thoughts here. Both of them may be a little over clever, but Zach, you mentioned earlier uh, that we have to look at these things through a biblical light, you know, not just being aware of the trauma that others do to us and the fact that that part is not our fault. It is the fault of the person who has committed that sin against us. I think the biblical category for that is described in Romans 8 and which describes creation groaning. Uh, it's not just a world in which God is righteous and humans are rebellious, uh, but there's also a third party, creation which reacts to the sin of humans and groans with thorns and thistles and other side effects. Uh, this world has been corrupted by man's original choice to reject his creator. Uh, you step on a thorn or thistle, the thorn or thistle is not directly your fault, but it is a result of that general human sinful condition. Uh, you can wince and pray for strength to get over that pain, which would be a more godly response to that, or you can scream and rage and hop around on one leg and break things, which is the sinful response, and you are responsible for that. Uh, guess which reaction is uh, probably a little closer to how I would react, unfortunately. <laughs> I think, too, there's something um, there with... Okay, so I, I personally know um, a couple where one of the members is bipolar, and it has had severe consequences. For a, their just to family. clarify, this is this is an official diagnosis. This isn't yes, somebody it's official looking diagnosis. something up on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this and, is a very and, real thing. 
and that's my little concession stand is that it's yeah. not the labels that are the problem. It's the self-diagnosis of labels that's yeah. actually the problem and, and how that happens on through social media in like a feedback loop. And it's, yeah. it's not, it's not like I saw a doctor and a specialist and like, this is how I was diagnosed. It's, oh, everyone else is doing this. I'll, I'll just put this in my, or I heard somebody it. talking about it secondhand on fantastical R- truth. Right. I'm very aware right. of that risk, <laughs> even to myself. Right. Yeah, I think it's really important to, well, like I said, I, I, I know enough to mess with readers' heads, but not enough to diagnose their problems. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to sit there and tell you what you, what you have, what's wrong with you. Um, but I have seen the very real pain that that kind of um, that kind that kind of severe mental illness can oh, cause absolutely. for a family, and how yeah. difficult that can be. And the essential part of it is is a very solid understanding of the brokenness of our world, the brokenness mm. of creation, and yes. also having a very solid theology of repentance. Amen. Because when 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 this uh, family when when they got out of a manic phase and came into where he the the spouse was on meds and was doing better now you have to look around and go oh no look at what look what i have done and um and being being willing to say that 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 a spouse that has done those kind of things in the heat of my brain is going crazy right now and doing things it should not do um and firing wrong ways that it takes a very it takes a, a godly spouse to say I forgive you for what you did. I love you. We're going to make it work. And it takes a very godly person to say, I'm so sorry I, I'm mm. for what I have done, even though I, you know, I couldn't, you, there's a, there's an element there of when you've done something wrong, whether or not you were fully in control of yourself, you still, there still needs to be a sorry there. Like, think about it. It's the same kind of thing. When you have a kid that hits a kid, you're going to, you're going to say, you need to say sorry versus when a kid, you know, stumbles and falls and hurts their brother, they still need to say sorry. You know, it's like there is a less guilt there, but it still is something where you need to, right. there needs to be a, a mending that mm-hmm. happens, a, a gentle coming back together and saying, we're going to get better. And I've, I've experienced that. I say this with some personal experience because I have had, my husband's had to walk through this stuff with me and help me. Um, and there's, there's been some, um, well, I, I would say that that's part of the reason why you see David in the book behaving the way he does, because there's a lot of stuff in that book that is very much how my husband has helped me through what I've been through myself. Oh, wow. And he's he's been a very, he's just a very rock solid, steady guy in general. Caleb's awesome. Always has been. He's the reason the book's done too. Like if you guys mm. like the book, Oh, he cheerleads him. on social media, by the way. He's, uh, he's oh, your yes. biggest fan, number one, for sure. He's my hype man. He's awesome. Um, he's the reason that uh, Tosca Lee read my book, so which was amazing. Can I just say that too? Yeah. Like, do, do, do you Lee, have Tosca's endorsement in front of you? Like, have you memorized I, it? Or I, I should have. Oh, oh my okay. goodness. I, it's <laughs> well, so cool. We might include that in the show notes then. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Tosca Lee, she's amazing. And she, um, she loved, she liked the book too. And I just was amazed. But that, that kind of thing, when you see you have, like, it, just, it isn't just with a husband and wife relationship. When your friend is hurting and they are like refusing to answer your calls because they're deep in depression, it's, I, I think it takes a really tough person, but also a godly person to show up at their door and bang on the door. Be like, yeah. hey, you're, you're, you need help. Can I clean your bathroom? Can I do your laundry? Can I bring you a meal? Like, and, and I think, because I mean, you would do that for somebody who's sick from chemo, right? 
why aren't we doing that yeah, when somebody exactly. has just gotten out of a hospitalization situation and is not sure what to do next? Yeah. And yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously I've never had to be hospitalized. I've never had um, any of those really severe stuff, but it was, and I, and I am very open about this stuff. So I'm, I very, one of the things I actually, I would like to segue into another part of the story with this. Um, one of the things that frustrated me when I was dealing with some of this stuff is how the church really didn't know how to respond to me. And you definitely see that in this book. <laughs> um, I tried to bring out some of that, how the church is a really dysfunctional place. And, um, but do it we in a way a I think. We are a hospital, not a museum, yes, right? Yes, yes. Exactly. Are we a mental hospital sometimes and we don't know it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe our rooms need to be a little bit more padded. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I was thinking too, like I, I watch a lot of, um, apologetics and theology stuff. I love uh, that side of you know, ministry and something that's, you know, we, we see a lot of people deconstructing right now. Like that is a big buzzword, but it is also a very real thing that's happening. We have Josh Harris, you know, lots of famous people, uh, especially if you look at like Christian music industry and stuff, these people oh, that are, yeah. are deconstructing. And there are exceptions, but in my experience with the people I know, and the people that I have actually listened to, like talking about their deconstruction, most of the time, like I said, this is, there are exceptions, but most of the time it doesn't start with the gospel didn't make sense, didn't make logical sense to me, or I had questions. It really usually starts with so and so hurt me. Yeah. And then I started to question everything about well, the church. That's what I called the, the church. gospel didn't make emotional sense. That's what I call the, the church yes. back home syndrome is yes. I'm, I'm looking at life through my own narrative or how I perceive my narrative with the church back home or the youth pastor or the family or the Christian school or whatever. That becomes the narrative that shapes how I see the world rather than seeing that terrible experience, if it was terrible, through the prime narrative of the gospel. Yeah. And I will say, this is me grabbing from the concession stand, if you don't mind. We're I, just snacking throughout this whole episode. <laughs> yes, it's we cool. Are. It's cool. Crunch, I, crunch. Yes. We, you know, it's, I don't want anybody to think that I'm dismissive of, of people being hurt by church because I have been there. Um, obviously, like I have been there multiple times. I was bullied in high school and middle school and childhood by my, year, my church. I was, um, I actually dealt with suicidal ideation when I was in high school because of that. Um, and then as an adult, you know, my, I had said my husband was forced out of a church without biblical cause. So we were homeless and jobless with a brand new baby and a toddler and it's right before Christmas. So you, I know how this feels and I want people to know that I know how much this hurts and I'm not mm-hmm. dismissing that at all. But I will tell you this before that I would have dismissed it right out of the I write out of hand. I would have been like, yeah, get over yourself. The Bible says you do not leave off meeting together as the habit of some. Like you have to keep going to church whether you like it or not. I, I, oh man, I remember the first Sunday I went to church after he'd been, he stepped down and. Presumably it was another church you were trying. Yes. It's yes, kind of the benefit. Did. We're not like first century book of Acts and you can go to another church down the road and yeah. there's a slight chance it might even be a biblical one. Yeah. Well, there, there was a, I wish I could remember where I heard it. Jackie Hill Perry, I don't know if if anybody's ever heard of her. She's amazing. She's a poet and a speaker and a Bible teacher. And she talks, she went through church hurt herself. And then she talks about, I think it was on a podcast. She was talking about how sometimes God uses the church to heal you from church Mm -hmm. hurt. Mm -hmm. And and I would say that's exactly what happened for me is that week. um, 
after the first time, it was two weeks after I had my son, I went to church at the church down the road where uh, Caleb had first spoke when he was like, you know, coming to be the pastor. He was, he didn't have a church at that point. So he needed somewhere to speak, like to preach so that the search team could see him preach and live. So the pastor there said, Hey, you can use my pulpit for a week. I'll let you preach. And then, and so that's, that was the first time I'd ever met him. So I went up there and I hid in the back and I thought I was not going to get noticed. And I was like, I'm here, I'm obeying. I hate it, but I'm obeying God. Mm. He saw me came running from the front of the church all the way to the very back, put his, took both my hands and started crying. And he said, I am so honored to have you in my church today. Oh, that's, that's and, Christ-like behavior right there. Yes. And then he after, was just imaging Jesus so hardcore. That was amazing. And he, he, um, he very briefly prayed for me and he said, he goes, I'm going to go preach, but I'm so, so honored to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Well, once, once he was done uh, preaching, he actually announced I was there from the pulpit. He looked at me like, can I please say you're here? Uh -huh. And I'm just like, okay. And so the entire congregation, the women of the church all came around and prayed over me. Wow. There, and that's how you church. That is how yes. you church. <laughs> That's and so it. that was such a, that was a healing moment. And I realized um, just through therapy and through all other things is that God took me through really ugly things so that when I came out the other side, I could be that person, that I could be that one that says, I know you don't want to be here today and I love you and I'm here with you and you can sit next to me and it's okay. Um, so that sounds like that's the Joseph line. What, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Like Joseph yes. lived in a world mm -hmm. where God was absolutely sovereign. And yet also people commit heinous actions like this, even in a family, uh, even in a, a biological mm -hmm. family like the clan of Jacob. And Joseph, once he'd gone through this trauma, this suffering, which included slavery and imprisonment and everything, false accusations, I mean, uh, we're not told how he deconstructed because it's a narrative that's mainly describing the actions, but by the end, he is willing to forgive his brothers. And of course, corollary there, uh, his brothers are repentant, you know, so you have yeah. kind of almost a picture of the church dysfunction right there. And that's why I think these stories matter so much. Stories matter to help us heal from this kind of trauma. And, and yet I think it's not just like, you know, modern slice of life stories, like a whole lot of that pale host it is, is a modern slice of life story. There's Christians in community. Uh, the mm -hmm. church is named, you know, there's specific familiar details here, particularly yeah. for Christians in the United States. And I think we need more stories like that, Thank but you. we also need <laughs> stories that include this kind of supernatural edge because without that fantastical element, I think, and this is a theory, I think that people are tempted to, you've got to put the fantastical somewhere because we're all haunted by it. We figure there's something supernatural in the world, whether it's God or the force or whatever. <laughs> but unless we have stories that channel that imaginative impulse toward imagination properly labeled, we're going to make ourselves the fantastical creatures. Oh, I have personality disorder X that I read about on the internet. That makes me magical. I'm the wood nymph now. I don't think that the nymphs are out dancing in the woods somewhere. You're the special. I'm the special. Yeah. And even if it's the special who's suffering, well, then I just can give myself a martyr complex at the same time. And then I'm kind of maybe sort of not responsible mm -hmm. for my actions. So that is where that imagination becomes idolatrous. And it, it doesn't mean that if we get more great, fantastical Christian made novels out there, that this problem is going to go away. 
but at least it will give us, I think, a proper outlet to shape that impulse, which I think God has given us to become aware of the fact that we are living in his fantastical universe. But apart from him, apart from his word and self-definition of himself and reality, we're going to go so completely awry. We're going to get dysfunctional Mm -hmm. and we're going to make ourselves into these magical creatures of our own minds. And we're just going to turn in on ourselves, which is what idolatry is. Well, and I saw a great tweet the other day. This is from Summer Yeager, who said, using victims or victimization is a form of special pleading that is currently being used to advance a political goal or ideological position and is the new opiate of the masses. Ooh, that mm. is so spot on because number one, you've got... Well, it's a religion, uh, like, like yes, from the yeah. original Karl Marx quote. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what does an opiate do? It doesn't heal you. It doesn't like fix you. It doesn't make you healthy. It just keeps you numb and, and keeps you in a state of uselessness, basically. And the point about being a victim, being a state of special pleading, like you can't touch me. You know, I'm unfalsifiable. And that's like, it's people are using it as like an armor, you know, to be invincible. And the whole reason is to, is to push a certain ideological goal rather than the Christian response, which is redemption, which is healing. Yes. And, you know, Laura, I, I know you, you don't probably don't want to spoil the book, but I, I assume there is some redemption or healing in this. Oh, you oh, can yeah. tell this, it's coming. I'm, I'm th- so this there isn't, for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, you know, this this isn't just a uh, a horror movie, that, like a demon child story, like um, <laughs> like The Ring or something. But th- this almost reminds me more of uh, It Follows, the horror movie that came out a couple of years ago. I need to see that. I still have not seen yeah. it. So it, it's about this sort of demon thing that follows people around uh, as they sleep with one another. So it is connected to their behavior. It doesn't do a lot of moralizing, like, but it's funny because a lot of people perceive that they're like oh this is you know people are using this movie as a polemic against you know casual sex and they they say it's stds or or whatever but no it's not any of that like don't worry about that (laughs) it's like oh i see this is really this is challenging an idol right oh no we're not gonna talk about that particular ghost Uh uh-huh yep 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 poke the sore (laughs) spot there i ain't afraid of no ghost (laughs) yeah (laughs) You know, that was not a typical horror movie either. It was more of like a dread, like like just yes. this constant dread. And there was a ghost that basically only one person at a time could see. But I I get the feeling that your book is, is similar in that it, it is very much a, she's having to focus on her own behavior and her own actions rather than just like, oh, there's this mean old ghost and poor old me is just a victim. Well, I think one of the big things is uh, Charlotte refuses to do anything for a very, 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 very long time. It's just, I'm just going to sit here and be very upset. And um, there's there's a tendency, that's why I, she was very frustrating to write, to be honest. And yet we uh, all because, know someone like that, and God forbid we've been someone like that. Well, see, I'm a very active person. Oh, like, yeah. When I'm, even when I was really struggling uh, with different mental issues, I was always trying something to get better. I was trying to do something like I would try exercise or I was trying to, you know, do some kind of, I mean, essential oils. Like I didn't try essential oils, but that kind of thing. Like I was trying lots okay, of things. No judgment. There are certain things I didn't want to try, uh, like, like medicine, which was ridiculous, but that was the way I was at the time. And it took, um, well, but I basically, one of the things I like to do with characters is press on them until they crack and then what comes out it's kind of like a 
it's that's basically the situation for me when I when I go to develop a character, I start with what what is going to be the thing that forces them to change their behavior. And that is kind of fundamental to who they are. And for Charlotte, it is going to take a lot to force her to change her behavior, to force her to change the way she's thinking and, and what she's doing. I mean, it takes and, years. And it, I was surprised oh. that this story spans several yes. years of, of uh, decline. It, and It's about hmm. 13 years total. Um, oh, wow. Which, wow. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. that's. I don't think it's really a spoiler alert. It's really so more fast. just, <laughs> yes. That was, that was actually something that was interesting. Um, when I first pitched the story uh, to several different people way, way back, uh, they're like, this is way too long. I said, no, no, it's important because... As moms, part of the stress is watching your child grow. And as they get older and they can do more, they can do more. And <laughs> there's more problems that you have. And so there, it, it's a slow build. Um, I, I think it was definitely very hard to, to uh, the pacing. I really had to work hard with that. I hope it worked. I think by the end, it, it ended up being pretty I cleared 50% yesterday, not just because we okay. were talking with you, awesome. but because I knew the book was coming out. Um, and I only okay. spent, I think, three hours total reading uh, over meal oh, breaks, uh, working on my own story as well. Um, yeah, I think the pace is pretty good. Like, I mean, good there's thinking. a few there's a few places where it's like really slice of life. You know, you're going over to people's houses and you're bringing casseroles and someone mm -hmm. burned the roast. And I mean, that's what makes it like this is set in the real world. This is a very contemporary story. Yes, uh, so that is. when it's the ghosts and the hauntings and stuff uh, bust in like this, but this though, Apart from maybe the ghosts, I don't know. It's Halloween. You never know what you might see. Uh, but <laughs> this, I think, is a is a realistic story. Uh, and yet, uh, yeah. and I, I have to, I don't want to pick on other Christian stories or do the thing where you say that all other Christian fiction was lousy till we got here. But there is <laughs> a trope, uh, particularly in some Christian social drama movies, where you see a far more idealized picture of the church. Uh, it's yeah. either heathens outside who just need them some Jesus and then they get inside or, or if they get inside the church, then they need to recommit to their families and be better dads. Yes. I'm looking at you. Sherwood pictures. <laughs> I know y'all mean well, but I don't think, uh, that, uh, your world could handle the trauma of postpartum depression and this kind of willful sin and possible haunting by ghosts. Yeah. And yet I think that we have to confront those things in Christian-made stories or else, as we mentioned in uh, one of our last episodes, Zach, uh, we are implicitly saying that the gospel will only work in a world that has been cleaned up by something else. Uh, mm. the, the, the censorious author or publisher ends up being the Christ figure who takes away the sin and nastiness of the world instead of showing maybe a more brutally honest version of the world. Uh, that needs Jesus. And then you can get to the end if it's a well-written story and you can see that, yes, as you mentioned earlier, some of your readers reacted, Jesus was here all along. Uh, the yeah. story is not just haunted by ghosts and trauma, but is also haunted by Christ because this is a world that is haunted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, <laughs> and yes. any of the ghosts that we have are just going to be blasted away uh, by his fire. Uh, and that's what I love about good horror is that that's what it shows either on the page or on the screen, or it's where it's hinting at. I will say too, I wanted something I, I am fond of saying, and uh, I, I think that we need to remember when you're talking about the church and talking about Christians, uh, we have a tendency to think that Christians are angels. No, we are saints. We are saints. We still sin. And, but on the opposite side, 
um, there is a tendency when you're when you've left church, there's a tendency to demonize. Christians are sinners, not demons. We are um, we are neither extreme, but we have sin in the camp that we have to deal with. I mean, personally, I'm I've been watching my own denomination. We've got some issues going on where there's clearly some issues we we have to deal with it now. Um, it's going to hurt hurt Christ's witness in the world if we don't. Um, but one of the things that I've been just I've been thinking a lot about as we see in the culture like deconstruction and all these other issues is that we we need to show Christians as they are warts and all so my story um I like to say it's the bald patches under the wig or the dirt that you swept underneath mm. the rug you're, you're going to see those things um I was I was a pastor's wife for two years my husband is a chaplain now I have seen the ugly stuff that goes on underneath the surface of a church and I'm not afraid to talk about it. And also I will say too, if anybody listening to this has been through some of that stuff, I'm an open book. If you want to know what happened and want to hear more about it, you can talk to me. You can send me a DM on Instagram or send me a message on my website. Um, Cause I will, I, I want you to know that asking tough questions does not make you um, broken and saying, Hey, I was hurt and this stinks. And I don't know if I want to go to church anymore. It does not I get it. I totally get it because I didn't want to for a while too. But I, we we need to see squeaky clean Christians. I they exist. They do because one, I, there was a very sweet young lady I used to babysit who is one. <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah, we have to deal but, with the reality of the real world, which includes some people who yeah. are squeaky clean and wholesome and family yes. friendly in real life. <laughs> yes, like she's absolutely that way. But my life. My life is complicated. My life is messed up. I mean, I move every two years or three years, and because my, my husband's in the military, we Chaplain have all kinds stuff, of stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And so, I I don't know. I really wanted. I I hope. And that what was really cool. I will say this. Um, there was a reviewer, an advanced reader copy um, reviewer, and she was not a Christian. And she said that about. She was. I didn't get some of the stuff in the book, but she still loved the book. And I think that. People who are not Christians, if they, if Christians are portrayed as they actually are, it's compelling fiction, whether or not oh, yes. you believe. Oh, yes. That's, that's and, a perennial point I make is that it's not so much that our Christian fiction, as a lot of people grew up understanding that, is too Christian, is that it's not Christian enough in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And being honest, like that, I, I very much believe in being very honest about my faith and honest about, like, if you, if you come on my social media or on my website, you're going to see lots of Jesus stuff. Just be used to it. Like that's what's going to be there. But there's also going to be some, you know, just real honest, like, well, this stinks. You know, I'm, I'm a very blunt person naturally. And so there's, I mean, there's lots of jokes. There's lots of sarcasm. I'm very curious what you might think, Stephen, but if um, I'm very much probably closest to Renee in the book. Um, oh, fascinating. Minus okay. the gossip issue. Okay. Uh, I understood that reference. Yeah. Yes. Renee has issues as well, but. Uh, yes. No, I, think, very, well, I can see some differences though. Yeah. There's some weird dynamics there. I think, we, well, I think everybody has been in a church where they have seen someone who uses prayer chains as gossip. And so I also, I specifically, having been a victim of that multiple times myself, I just thought, you know what, let's just address this head on. Let's see how it hurts people. Let's be honest about it. because. I mean, I'm, I don't know about you, but I, if, if I were not a Christian and I was reading about this stuff, I'd still be interested because it's just, it's crazy the stuff people do and they're willing to do um, in pursuit of power, in pursuit of, 
you know, just a reputation to protect all these other things that we see. And social media is just compounds all of that. Well, we've been talking about the need to confront reality as well as uh, superstitions that can haunt uh, the edges of our health. If you squint, that almost uh, feeds into our second sponsor, uh, which is, again, the Novel Marketing Podcast. Uh, They've been uh, with us for the last several episodes uh, with particular emphasis on the Ten Commandments of Book Marketing. This is the longest-running novel marketing podcast from Thomas Umstadt Jr. I've been listening for several years now, actually, uh, before they began sponsoring the show. Uh, This is one of their most popular episodes, and it's also one of my favorites. It's called The Ten Commandments of Book Marketing. And uh, each uh, episode they sponsor, we're going through all ten of them, and we are on commandment number four right now, which is, Thou shalt measure thy marketing. That's my best James L. Rubart impression, so I hope you all uh, are happy with that. This is about combating book marketing superstitions. Uh, If people are more writing-oriented, like Fantastical Truth is a fan-centered podcast, but of course, we're going to talk to writers every once in a while. Uh, If you're in those circles, then you know there's all this different advice about uh, following new hot marketing tactics, and you, you get a hold of some secret knowledge, you know, and you feel like you're part of the inner ring, and you've discovered the secret sauce to get your book to rise to the top of the charts, but it may not work for you. People are complex, and stories are complex, and marketing is complex. Thomas, in this item of the podcast, shares his wisdom in data. You've got to focus on the specifics. You've got to keep track of what you're doing, track your time, track your money, track your efforts. You need spreadsheets. You need numbers. Yes, creative people, all into pictures and English and things and words. You also have to track the numbers if you want to take this seriously. Uh, You can learn more about that at the Novel Marketing Podcast. We, of course, link to that in our show notes. We'll also link to that at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So Laura, last big question here. What is next on your creative journey with your children and or the chillingly numinous? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm a homeschooling mom, so I... How many I kids? Li- Do we ever say that? Oh, no, I don't think I ever did. Yeah, I'm, I'm homeschooling mom of four. I only homeschool three of them. My youngest is still too little to be in school, but um, yeah, they are wild and crazy children. And so I have limited time to write, but um, I know that I am, should be in an uh, anthology with a mermaid story that is sci-fi and definitely has a bit of a dark and creepy twist um, that hopefully should be coming out next May. We'll see. And um, I'm also, I'm on a totally different type of a mermaid. Uh, I have a um, mermaid young adult science fiction series that I've been working on for a little while, uh, the tentatively titled current, and it is set in the Gulf of Mexico. It's a tribal take on mermaids. Um, there's a, and they are based on sharks, not on your typical, you know, pretty. And but one of the things that bugs me about mermaids is they're always Greco Roman looking and they all have this very like they're all pretty and stuff and i'm sorry but they should be monsters they should be so this is the seedier side of uh, aquaman's atlantis this is more like the trench from from aquaman yes and i think it's i'm really excited about it it's um current is the daughter of the chief of her shoal and during her calling tide she is um, given the task of becoming the next story keeper which is the one who keeps all the history and the traditions of her people But the problem is Current is very introverted and quiet, and she's going to have to learn to speak louder than a hurricane. So 
it's it's definitely it's a very cool story. There's it's science fiction. It's very much science fiction, not fantasy. Um, I'm not. I, I as much as I love Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I and all that stuff. I'm not a big fantasy person in general. So I'm I very much. This is very much a science fiction story. But I'm I'm really excited about. It. I'm having a lot of fun. My critique group likes it so far. So we'll see. Fantastic. How much I can finish it. <laughs> well, you some other uh, Lorehaven articles coming up as well. Some stuff you're yes. working on. Yeah, I've got, um, I'm really curious about Dune to see the movie. I don't know mm, how many people are very yep. excited about that, but I, I, I'm very, very excited to see that movie. And I read the book in anticipation of it. And so I'm, I have a, yes. an article about that and talking about the, um, well, basically Frank Herbert's interest in psilocybin and LSD and mind altering drugs and how that affected his writing. Because I think it's really interesting to see the how that specifically affected the religion uh, and the different stuff in Dune. And I also have some others, some creepy stories that I think should be better known that are from Christian authors that I'm going to try and do for a little Halloween. Well, I shouldn't, sorry, pardon me, for the, the Church Harvest Festival, festival post. Yes. yes, exactly. Family-friendly so. costumes only. Clowns. <laughs> yes, yes. Little so I've got some stuff about that. <laughs> Yeah, and clowns I, are I the will, creepiest costume you could wear. <laughs> no, wholesome will, clowns, Christian clowns. Go ahead, sorry. No, no such thing. <laughs> yes, I will just hype. Frank Peretti only makes one appearance. The rest of them are probably people that you have not read or weren't aware that this particular story was there. So I think they're all kind of kind of cool uh, stuff that I want to introduce readers to. I think, especially if you like, I love horror personally. I don't like gross out horror, but I love psychological horror. I love just creepy stories. So this is kind of my time of year. So I'm looking forward to to giving some fun, cool articles for Lorehaven this month. Hopefully I can keep me out. Now that I've said it out loud, I'll probably actually get it done. <laughs> well, that's that would work for me anyway. So other than Lorehaven, uh, and we'll obviously link to all of your previous uh, articles at Lorehaven in our show notes, where can people keep track of your storytelling and nonfiction writing progress? Um, you can go to lgmccary.com. I've got my website there. And I also am pretty active on Instagram under lgmccary. And I'm also on Facebook. And But again, under lgmccary. So I'm all over the place. And if um, I love to hear from readers. And I highly recommend becoming one of my minions and joining my newsletter because you do get some special secret stuff that nobody else gets to know about. So well, you can also watch for that review of that pale host coming to Lorehaven. And now that I've said it out loud, I'll also be locked in <laughs> uh, to getting that finished, uh, hopefully in a timely manner. Laura, it's been great to have you here once more. We'll obviously be having you so back at some point. Uh, I mean, you're clearly coming out with more stories that will need exploration, uh, as well as some of these topics. Uh, I would love to hear from our readers as well uh, about all of the themes that we've engaged today. A uh, little of everything here, actually a lot of everything, ghosts. Mental health, deconstruction makes more than a cameo, as it is wont to do. Church issues, uh, some, uh, some good-hearted tweaking at Christian fiction that overcleans some of these realities. Readers, listeners, what do you think about these? Do email us, uh, podcast at lorehaven.com. You can also follow us at the aforementioned Instagram feed. Just search for Lorehaven. You'll find us there. Same as on Twitter, same as on Facebook. You can also use the feedback form at the podcast website uh, or this uh, episode itself, lorehaven.com slash podcast. Laura, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's fun to be here. Thanks, Laura. Stephen, that was a really great discussion with Laura. Um, it made me think of this verse from Isaiah 40, verse 11, where it says, He gently leads those that have young 
And I think that is such a great promise from the scriptures. Parenting is such a hard task and it, it's that we don't follow a hard taskmaster. You know, we follow a shepherd who carries us in his arms as we carry children. And I, I really see that and I hope coming through the story that Laura is sharing through that pale host. So I can't wait to read it, but uh, let's go to the comm station here from the fantastic fans. Stephen Smith replied on Facebook to episode 81 about clean fiction saying, quote, clean doesn't have to mean no violence or hard aspects of life it should be no gratuitous use of sensuality or, or positive messages about wrong choices. If you think it takes foul language to be real, real what I'm tired of all media putting a pro LGBT spin on everything adding those types of characters to stories that were never there before we can acknowledge sin just not glorify it end quote and uh johanna also shared this about that episode saying quote i agree it's all about the message and the impression the story leaves with the reader fact is we don't live in a clean world so using that as a setting is a fantasy in itself end quote what a great perspective. Amen. Isn't that so Amen. true? Oh, yeah. It's reverse sentimentalism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only reality. The darkness, the sin. Everybody watches porn. That's something I saw posted in response to a, a reel that Marion Jacobs with Laura Haven, she made on Instagram. And everybody got after her saying, what? Everybody does it. This is the only way to know about it. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's reverse sentimentality. Philip Wallace also wrote and said, quote, Louis L'Amour is a great example of a writer that spoke about immoral things with few words. He rarely used swear words, yet the majority of the situations his characters were in was a world around violent men that drink hard whiskey, murdered, raped, committed violence. The author might let the reader know a character swore a lot, but not write the actual swear words or the scene of a massacre without Pulp Fiction details, just enough to convey a message. The same with sex, etc. For example, in Jubal Sackett, the main character gets married. The author wrote, and I'm paraphrasing, the husband and wife lay together to consummate the wedding. As readers, we get it. I don't know that Louis L'Amour was born again, yet he kept it clean and on message. End quote. Yeah, I can, uh, I can verify that. My wife is a huge Louis L'Amour fan. We have got a whole shelf of his books. He wrote a lot of westerns and historical uh, action-adventure type stuff for many, many decades. Super prolific chap. He was, uh, I think he was legit French, but he loved him some America. And that's mm. kind of the space where he lived. You couldn't call it clean, but it's not trying to be all outrageous and edgy either. Um, I would love to see more stories like that naturally styled from Christian authors. I think that that's a great template to follow with obviously the exception that uh, we'd have more fantastical stuff going on uh, than uh, gunmen and outlaws and mail order brides and stagecoaches and things. This is why I love the Mandalorian. Cause it's a space West. Yeah, there you and go. It, and it's that's pretty clean. I mean, as it goes, yes, it's Disney. So, you know, it's not extreme yeah. in any direction. Well, if anything, that, that was actually a little bit of, uh, I mean, it, it was, uh, it was a false dichotomy almost uh, in our last episode. We, cause we kept referring kind of, uh, following the language of clean stories versus, not clean stories, but I mean, there is a third category. There are stories that just exist to shock and to outrage and right. that don't seem to have a lot of redemptive value. Uh, that space in between is a very large space. And I think that uh, Christians looking for good stories, not just safe, wholesome, family-friendly stories can find a place in that space. I think that that's where we need to be because that's closer to where we live, most of us in the real world. I would not call that pale host a clean story, but people are not cussing. There's no detailed, uh, uh, you know, sensual interactions and things like that. I mean, people are married. They're obviously in love. 
before all this stuff happens. I mean, how else do you think that baby got there? Uh, they're trying to get pregnant at the beginning. There's a space between clean stories and dirty stories. Like I, I yeah. think Christians sometimes go a little too far in acting like those are the only options. Those are not the only options. Obviously, scripture doesn't fit into either one of those categories. So it's a, it's a false dichotomy. Yeah, it's not safe, but it's good. There you go. Narnia again, C.S. Lewis again. He haunts the place just like a ghost. <laughs> but that was actually his word, by the way, I used in the question of Laura, the numinous. He talked about that, I think, in The Problem of Pain. Anyway, Lewis topic later. Next on Fantastical Truth, some years back on Twitter, a novelist shared a strange boast. She said, sometimes I lose sight of why I want this whole being an author thing. It's easy to get overwhelmed and forget the whole point of it all, which is, of course, to wreck you, the reader. End quote. And then presumably she signed off the Twitter and went, whoa, ha, 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 ha. Uh, not to stereotype it too much. I do find that fascinating, though. Do we really want books to wreck us? Don't wrecks, you know, hurt people? Well, novelist and Lorehaven writer Marion Jacobs takes a very controversial position against steering story vehicles directly into our souls. She insists that we should find stories that don't hurt us without redemption, but will better help us heal. And that's the topic of our next episode. Meanwhile, whether you've seen a ghost, whether you're haunted by ghosts and or mental trauma and or spiritual trauma, or just the all-purpose pain of living in a world that groans under the curse, if you need to, do get help. That is something that Christians can do. We can pray for you. Reach out if you need help. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, definitely look to Jesus Christ. He has created us body and soul. Both can be injured. Both need redemption in this groaning world. But he will save that world. And we look forward to him getting rid of all of that groaning as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>